Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So we've got some important recent events to get through today. Uh, but just before we actually get started on the, the main event, as it were, uh, just a word of warning. You may hear some slightly uh, annoying sounds in the background uh, as, unfortunately, it's a bit of a, a, a trifecta of, of problems for recording today. It's extremely hot. Um, it's one. It's the uh, kind of deadly heat wave that we've been hearing about in the media, and it's kind of the height of it is today. And it just so happens that my, typical of my luck, it's the day that I, I was going to record this episode, which is going to be um, stuck in a very very small room, melting, <laughs> whilst I go through a pretty long and in depth look at a specific document, which we'll get into in a minute. But also, it just so happens that um, my next door neighbour is having some construction work done as well. So I'm going to try to start and stop the recording if I hear any disruptive sounds from drills etc but uh, just apology in advance if you do hear any of that kind of thing in the background hopefully it won't be too bad we'll see how we get on uh anyway having said all of that let's actually get stuck into what's been happening so some very interesting developments and um, in particular there's been another very important and interesting legislative development from uh, over in the united states of america so you may remember my last episode i was talking about the national defense authorization act the ndaa and the fact that there has been an amendment included in this ndaa which includes provisions for um you know immunity amnesty and, and some other very important aspects which relate to uap i talked about that in a fair amount of detail in my, in my previous episode uh, last week so i'm not going to go into that now uh, but but it is worth mentioning you know since i recorded that last episode and, and that went out it's actually now been approved in for inclusion in in the uh, ndaa that particular amendment apparently there was a, a voice vote and it went through without any objections for inclusion in the ndaa 2023 so that's positive all very interesting and quite quite hopeful really about these uh, particular quite strongly worded aspects of uap related language in this ndaa uh, but what I'm going to be talking about today is a different thing, which is the Intelligence Authorization Act for financial year 2023, which is kind of similar to the NDAA in terms of the way it works, but there are some differences. So a lot of people have been talking about this on UFO Twitter and, and sharing kind of aspects of the wording. And uh, being from the UK, I wasn't particularly familiar with the actual political process in, in America. Well, I wasn't familiar with any of the American political processes before starting the podcast and looking into this deeper. Um, but obviously you know uh, I, I do try to figure these things out as best i can and then relay that back to anybody who's listening to the podcast so basically in this case i did the same thing so let me break down my understanding of it as a as i've been able to find out so far so the intelligence authorization act was implemented in order to basically codify covert clandestine operations and defines requirements for reporting these kinds of operations to the congress and the american constitution basically states uh, apparently in article 1 section 9 
that a regular statement and account of the receipts and expenditure of all public money shall be published from time to time. And, and this particular act was, was passed along with the Intelligence Oversight Act of 1980, which allowed Congress and members of the agency to be included in important decisions and operations carried out by the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA. And the Intelligence Authorization Act was also an attempt to limit the authority and secrecy within the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, regarding foreign and domestic affairs. Although the, the kind of reach of, of this um, legislation basically extends to all of the intelligence agencies, not just the CIA. So my understanding of it basically to, to kind of put it in as, as basic terms as possible is the intelligence community has to essentially put together a sort of comprehensive list of what they're going to be spending money on and how that money is going to be allocated. But there are some differences. I mean, I think it's from what I've been able to tell and some uh, of my American listeners, you might be able to, uh, to give a little bit more insight into this. Um, I think it, in this particular case, rather than with the NDAA where it goes through the, the Congress, it goes through the Senate, eventually ends up on the President's desk and then gets signed off, I think this is a little bit more about Congress basically being able to have the final say on where the actual money goes. So the, the ultimate authority lies in, in the hands of, of Congress and you know the, the, the funding which is basically provided by Congress must be spent you know, in the way um, the, that it was applied for, if you will, by this Intelligence Authorization Act. And um, the Congress is actually basically the, the decision maker regarding, you know, covert operations and specific uh, actions and can actually reject funding of operations as well, um, which, which the CIA puts forward. Apparently, uh, one example of that is the CIA attempt to overthrow the Nicaraguan government in 1982. Um, so yeah, that's basically how uh, the whole thing, you know, uh, works. And it is important to bear in mind that the specific details of what's being worked on by the various branches of the intelligence communities is not shared in full with the public for pretty obvious reasons because it wouldn't be, you know, secret operations if they were completely transparent about everything with the public. It wouldn't really work, would it? Obvi I mean, I think that's fairly obvious uh, as to the reasons why. Uh, but with these type of things, there's obviously a bit of a balance to be had because if the CIA, for example, was operating with complete impunity and able to request as much money as they wanted and you know um, they didn't have to explain where that money was going and whatnot then obviously that's quite a dangerous situation potentially opens the door to corruption and you know if there's no oversight of a very powerful organization like that there's a lot of risks involved but obviously you have to maintain a certain amount of secrecy just because of the nature of what we're talking about here and i think the actual funding as well is not uh, available the exact amounts and the the overall amount is not available available to the public either which is different to the ndaa where it's all uh, a bit clearer as to exactly how much it is etc and a little bit more information on that particular point. Um, apparently attempts have actually been made to revise the act in order to make the agency's uh, budget spending available to the American public and Congress has rejected this revision since 1993. And there's uh, obviously a number of reasons as to why that is the case. Uh, but basically government officials have assumed that 
because the amount of money would be unexplainable really without actually including a total breakdown of CIA actions and spendings and operation and that the the public are just going to continue to ask for more information and Congress has also suggested that uh, you know you could make patterns as to um, you know by analysing the yearly reports which potentially could allow people who've got access to that to be able to discover details and, and pick out trends in spending and whatnot to um, to basically figure out some more of the details of the secret operations uh, that are taking place and whatnot. So essentially, again, you know, you have to kind of keep certain things in the dark if you want to do things in secret, but it's a balance really of being able to make, make sure there is proper oversight of what's going on. And um, being from the UK, I kind of relate it back to the way it works here in the UK, which is slightly different. But just to give an example, especially for any UK listeners, or I guess anyone from around the world might find it interesting as well, to compare and contrast so here in the uk we have various uh, intelligence agencies such as defense intelligence gchq mi5 mi6 etc we have our own intelligence community essentially just like they have in the states and most of other western countries have a similar setup with obviously differences here and there in fact, some would say that the US intelligence community is essentially modelled off the long-standing and very successful intelligence community here in the UK. But then again, maybe I'm a little bit biased in that regard because I'm from the UK, sat here drinking my cup of tea uh, in between doing little segments of the podcast here. So um, yeah, moving on from that. Um, but there is a, a similar thing here in the UK with the Ministry of Defence has its own budget and uh, you know, sort of a list of specific things that it wants to receive funding for which has to be approved um, by um, the treasury and there's a bit of a back and forth that goes on compromises to be made etc and because we're talking about the allocation of public money so they can't just request whatever they want you know it does get debated and discussed as to what's reasonable to spend money on so the ministry of defense has its own budget for military spending as i just mentioned and the intelligence community also has its own budget and with regards to you know expenditure and whatnot it's done in a slightly different way here in the uk but it's essentially the same kind of process and you know the, the the military and the intelligence community need to request public money to be able to carry out the works that they do and there's a bit of a wrangling process that goes on in order to be able to confirm and approve the money that they require uh, i believe in the uk it's not so much down to the actual prime minister to authorize that uh, even with the the mod whereas in the, in the states the ndaa is essentially signed off by the president um but i think um you know with all of that background there that we've just done you know let's get into the juicy goodness of what's actually included in the intelligence authorization act in the states for 2023 so i'm just going to say before we kick off with this that it's going to be a pretty long and detailed kind of read through of the entire thing which is quite a lengthy document so bear in mind we might be here for some time so this is probably a good time right now to make yourself a cup of tea or whatever beverage you prefer especially if it's hot you might want to get something cold a few ice cubes and uh, put your feet up find a comfortable chair and let's get stuck into this document okay so as i mentioned earlier right at the beginning of the document it says uh, that this is uh, legislation s4503 and it's the 117th congress second session and it lists a little bit of a paragraph at the beginning which explains kind of 
what what it all is i've kind of just been over that but i'll read it through it anyway just to hear it from the horse's mouth as it were so it says um s4503 to authorize appropriations for fiscal year 2023 for intelligence and intelligence related activities of the united states government the intelligence community management account and the central intelligence agency retirement and disability system and for other purposes now obviously that's just a little brief summary at the beginning of the document which essentially just explains what it's all about and then it goes into lots of other things that are not related to the what we're going to be talking about today so i'm going to skip all the way through to page 87 and when we get to page 87 that's when the fun begins so section 703 Modification of requirement for office to address unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So straight away there, very, very interesting, the inclusion of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So we're not just talking about, um, you know, flying objects like the old classic UFO phrase. We're now talking about objects which are um, potentially transmedium, aerospace and undersea phenomena. Very, very interesting straight away on the first line there. And as we carry on, in general, section 1683 of the National Defence Authorisation Act for fiscal year 2022 is amended to read as follows. Section 1683, Establishment of Unidentified Aerospace Undersea Phenomena Joint Programme Office. And it says, Establishment of Office. Number one, in general, not later than 120 days after the date of the enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, the Secretary of Defence, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, shall establish an office within a component of the Office of the Secretary of Defence or within a joint organisation of the Department of Defence and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to carry out the duties of the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force as in effect on December the 26th, 2021, and such other duties as are required by this section, including those pertaining to a. Transmedium objects or devices and unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. b. Space, atmospheric and water domains. And c. Currently unknown technology and other domains. So straight away, very, very interesting there. So we're talking about the requirement, uh, you know, not later than 120 days after the enactment of this particular act. Um, there has to be an office established and that has to be either within a component of the Office of the Secretary of Defence or a joint organisation of the Department of Defence and the Office of the director of national intelligence so we hear these acronyms all the time so the office either has to be established within the osd osdi or within a joint organization of the dod and the odni and it has to carry out the duties of the unidentified aerial phenomena task force uh, and mentions about those specific points there including those pertaining to transmedium objects or devices unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena 
space atmospheric and water domains a currently unknown technology in other domains so not mincing any words there very specifically requesting about essentially everything that i would want them to uh, be having a look at with this office so it carries on designation the office established under paragraph one shall be known as the unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena joint program office in this section referred to as the office i think quite wisely because <laughs> otherwise that would have become quite a mouthful to keep having to repeat so i think uh, just before we move on from that uh, what we need is that astro that name back i think in my opinion i just think it's a great snappy name it does what it says on the tin and these kind of things like the unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena joint program office it's just a nightmare to say isn't it it's even worse than the aoimsg potentially but um, anyway for the rest of the document we'll be referring to this office which is being proposed um, to be established uh, within 120 days of this act going through this this office that's going to be created we're just going to be calling it the office so as we move along if you hear the office that's what we're talking about the office that they're going to be making 120 days after this act uh, comes into place which is going to be that office is going to be charged with dealing with all of the various specific requirements that we're going to be reading through shortly so it goes on then be director and deputy director of the office Number one, appointment of director. The head of the office shall be the director of the Unidentified Aerospace Undersea Phenomena Joint Programme Office. Again, it just specifies here in this section referred to as the director of the office. So if we hear going forward now reading through this, director of the office, that's what we're talking about. The director of that office that we were talking about a second ago. Who shall be appointed by the Secretary of Defence. So it's going to be the Secretary of Defence that actually appoints the office. That's a fairly significant point, I think, there. It's the Secretary of Defence who's going to appoint the actual director of this office. Worth keeping an eye on. And then it goes on to appointment of Deputy Director. There shall be in the office a Deputy Director of the office who shall be appointed by the Director of National Intelligence. So... The, the actual uh, deputy director is going to be appointed by the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence. Goes on. Three, reporting. A, the director of the office shall report to the Secretary of Defence. And B, the deputy director of the office shall report I to the Secretary of Defence and the D Director of National Intelligence on all administrative matters of the office and II to the Secretary of Defence on all operational matters of the office. So quite interesting there. Um, the, the actual head of the office, the, the, the director of, of this office that's being proposed will be appointed by the Secretary of Defence. And actually when it comes to reporting, the, the director of this office, the, the head honcho of the office, is going to be reporting directly to the Secretary of Defence as well. The deputy, slightly different situation, is going to be appointed by the, the Director of National Intelligence, but the deputy of the, of the office is actually going to report to the Secretary of Defence and the Director of National Intelligence on all administrative matters, but only to the Secretary of Defence on operational matters, so again, quite interesting the, the specific details here. And if, if this goes through in its current form, 
we will actually know quite a bit about who's recruiting who and who is reporting to who as well. So I thought that was uh, worth highlighting there for a second. And then we move on to a section where it actually goes into the duties of the office and what the office is going to be doing, basically. So duties, the duties of the office shall include the following. One, developing procedures to synchronize and standardize the collection, reporting and analysis of incidents, including adverse physiological effects regarding unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena across the Department of Defense and the intelligence community in consultation with the Director of National Intelligence and submitting a report on such procedures to the Congressional Defense Committees, the Congressional Intelligence Committees and Congressional Leadership. So straight away there, the the first thing that it lists as what the duties of this office is going to be is actually coming up with a procedure to standardize and synchronize collection, reporting and analysis of incidents including adverse physiological effects. So that was quite interesting. So it specifically requires the inclusion of essentially biological effects, sometimes called the the sixth observable, um, regarding any of these anomalous encounters, essentially, that anybody within the Department of Defense and the intelligence community has. All of this is going to be reported to the office for analysis. Um, Very interesting. And also, and um, not to forget as well that it will actually be required to submit a report, uh, submit a report on these procedures to these uh, particular congressional uh, committees, which it listed earlier. Then it goes on number two of the the duties uh, section continuing. Number two, developing processes and procedures to ensure that such incidents from each component of the department and each element of the intelligence community are reported and incorporated in a centralized repository. So again, we're talking there about basically making sure that all of these incidents from any of the elements of the Department of Defense and the intelligence community are actually contained within some kind of centralized database. Moving on, three, establishing procedures to require the timely and consistent reporting of such incidents. Again, trying to basically go into their um, making sure that these things are not only reported, but they're reported in a consistent way and in a timely fashion as well, quite important, because if you want to try and get to the bottom of something, you're going to want to know about it straight after it happens. So again, I think that's an interesting uh, thing to be included. Moving on, number four, evaluating links between unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena and adversarial foreign governments other foreign governments or non-state actors again an interesting point there establishing evaluating links between unidentified as i'm not going to read that out again but you get the idea evaluating links between um potentially adversarial foreign governments other foreign governments or non-state actors something that you would have to include i mean at the end of the day if you're going to be doing a serious investigation of what these anomalous encounters represent you do have to consider adversarial governments when it says other foreign governments you're basically talking about allied governments or non-state actors you know has elon musk got some kind of crazy tech that he's been working on you know you do have to consider those things so I think it's a good thing that that's included as well. If we're going to be thorough about it, you have to take all things into account. Even if 
let's be honest it's looking fairly unlikely at this point that it is uh, any kind of a, a, an adversarial or an allied government and, and probably just as unlikely that it's any kind of a, a non-state actor but it is worth considering if we're going to do a thorough investigation so I don't have a problem with that being included I think it's a fair point so listed as number five with the duties of this office then is evaluating the threat that such incidents present to the United States I mean obviously that does what it says on the tin really I think you've got to evaluate whether or not these things are a threat and the nature of that threat and the extent of that threat number six coordinating with other departments and agencies of the federal government as appropriate including the federal aviation administration the national aeronautics and space administration you know otherwise known as nasa the department of homeland security the national oceanic and atmospheric administration the national science foundation and the department of energy so very very interesting so we're talking about this office basically is going to be required to coordinate and, and pr basically cast a pretty wide net so they're going to be coordinating with a lot of very significant other departments there to be able to get to the bottom of what's going on here now exactly the nature of that coordination will be interesting to see how deep that goes but let's be honest the listing there nasa which is kind of we already know there is some collaboration there and nasa are becoming more and more open to being involved in this study but also the inclusion of the department of energy i thought was very very interesting and we'll probably come back to that later on number seven of the duties is coordinating with allies and partners of the united states as appropriate to better assess the nature and extent of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena so again, coordinating with allies and partners of the United States as appropriate to better assess the nature of what's going on with these objects. And you've got to assume that part of that would be coordinating with the closest allies of the United States, which would be the UK. Although the UK basically denies any involvement with this. And I recently did a FOIA request to the UK government, to the MOD in particular, uh, I should say, um, about whether or not they had any documents pertaining to ATIP or ORSAP. And the response that I basically got back was, um, we're going to request a extension of the timeline involved with answering your response because we need to consider it in more detail as to whether or not it's in the public interest to confirm or deny whether we have anything related to your search terms, which is I kind of thought was quite interesting, but not entirely un unheard of that they would do that if it's a complex issue. And anyway, after that deadline had, had passed, I, I eventually ended up getting a response back from them, which basically said, having considered whether it's in the public interest to confirm or deny, we have decided that we're going to deny all knowledge of having any documents related to ATIP or OSAP. And it goes on to actually list the reasons why as to not undermine any op operational um you know ties that they may have with allies and whatnot so essentially the 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 uk mod has decided to deny anything to do with atip and orsap for fear of upsetting the united states and what they want to say on it that, that was my takeaway from it but it is pretty clear i mean if it says in in the intelligence authorization act here coordinating with allies and partners of the united states as appropriate uh, to better assess what's going on here bearing in mind it also said this 
you know, in similar language going back years now as well with NDAAs and Intelligence Authorization Acts and so on. Uh, we know that OSAP and, and ATIP were running throughout the, uh, th you know, the early 2000s all the way through to 2017. It's pretty obvious to me that they would have been coordinating with the UK and um, the UK's complete blanket denial of anything to do with ufos also includes denying whether or not they've they've, they've had any correspondence whatsoever with uh, a, a u.s ufo uap related program but it's pretty clear to me that they definitely would have uh, you know had that um, maybe definitely is a bit strong but in the bounds of probability i would say it's very very likely the u.s has, and has been cooperating and coordinating with the uk uh, for a long long time probably going back decades and for whatever reason the uk has decided to keep completely um closed mouthed about it and just won't let on any involvement or any cooperation with the states and are allowing the us to take the lead but anyway as i said i don't want to go on too much of a tangent there but Number seven was coordinating with allies and partners of the United States to figure out what's going on with this mystery. And as I say, I suspect they've been doing that for a long, long time anyway, but it does clearly just lay out here that the, this new office will be expected to do some, uh, some of that. Some more of that is probably uh, what I would suggest is meant there. Anyway, number eight in terms of the duties of this office is preparing reports for Congress in both classified and unclassified form, including under subsection J. So we'll, I guess we'll come to uh, subsection J in a bit. Uh, but that's basically saying that this office is going to be required to prepare these reports for Congress, uh, and we are going to get them in unclassified form, although there will also be classified versions as well, which the public won't get to see. Um, although we may end up getting to see them through FOIA requests and things in a redacted form, which is kind of what how things have played out over the last few years. So interesting to see what comes of that. Anyway, and number nine is ensuring that appropriate elements of the intelligence community receive all reports received by the office regarding a temporary non-attributed object or an object that is positively identified as man-made, by create, uh, including by creating a procedure to ensure that the office refers such reports to an appropriate element of the intelligence community for distribution among other relevant elements of the intelligence community in addition to the reports in the repository described in paragraph two so essentially that's a bit of a mouthful to, to kind of work around there but i'm um reading that as meaning that um appropriate elements of the intelligence community will have to be able to get access to reports uh, received by the the office um that have anything to do with positively identified man-made objects so any of these objects that are reported to the office that can then be identified as some kind of a, let's say an adversarial country has got some kind of advanced drone, we've figured out that it's definitely uh, not anomalous, but it, it is some kind of advanced drone that's been developed by an adversary obviously the intelligence community are going to need to know about that um, we can't have a situation where the ufo office has figured out that china have got some kind of crazy advanced supersonic drone and uh, the intelligence community have not been able to access that information for some reason you can see why that would be a concern so it's just basically specifying here that if anything is positively identified as man-made um 
that um, there needs to be procedures in place for the office to refer such reports to an appropriate element of the intelligence community uh, for distribution among other relevant elements of the intelligence community so i think that's again quite interesting um, it's basically saying look if you figure out any of these are from an uh, from an adversary uh, you need to tell the relevant people within in the intelligence community and don't just keep it hush I can fairly obviously, um, you know, logical decision to, to include that in there. And then it says also, um, D, response to and field investigations of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Interesting. So it says, one, designation. The secretary, in coordination with the director of national intelligence, shall designate one or more line organizations within the Department of Defense and the intelligence community that possess appropriate expertise, authorities, accesses, data, systems, platforms, and capabilities to rapidly respond to and conduct field investigations of incidents involving unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena under the direction of the director of the office very interesting so we're basically saying there that the uh, the secretary in coordinate in coordination with the director of national intelligence shall basically designate one or more organizations within the dod and the intelligence community that possess the 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 uh, ability to be and, and the the resources to be able to do so to actually rapidly respond to and conduct field investigations of incidents involving anomalous objects so we're talking there about a requirement to actually be able to go out and respond in the field to sighting reports and things like that very interesting that and um not only that but this team should have um the the appropriate expertise authority accesses data systems platforms and capabilities to rapidly respond to these incidents so again very very interesting i mean it's just uh, you know i have i have read through this before and and i'll be honest it, it it's pretty huge if i was reading if i if i was approached and somebody said look you know what do you think you would need to do uh, to have a really really thorough look at this mystery and, and figure it out this reads like a list of exactly what I would have wanted. Um, but, you know, whether or not everything's going to come to fruition is not 100%, you know, guaranteed just yet. But, I mean, as I'm reading through this, it, it, it's there's not a lot of fluff in there. It's all pretty important stuff. So, uh, moving on from that to the ability to respond. So, the secretary, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, shall ensure that each line organisation designated under paragraph 1 has adequate personnel with the requisite expertise, equipment, transportation and other resources necessary to respond rapidly to incidents or patterns of observations involving unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena of which the office becomes aware. So again, really interesting and that's basically just following up and saying that this rapid response team should have the capabilities and the, the transport available and people with expertise, the equipment and whatnot, everything they need to be able to respond rapidly and assess what's going on when the office becomes aware of a report of something. So kind of just follows up on the previous point there. Very, very interesting indeed. Okay, so we're moving on and apologies if you can hear any drilling going on in the background. Um, I need to get, get through. there's a lot to get through, so we're just going to have to crack on. I don't think it's particularly noticeable. You might not even be able to hear it. So moving on. 
E. Scientific, technological and operational analyses of data on unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Number one. Designation. The Secretary, in coordination with the Director of National Intelligence, shall designate one or more line organisations that will be primarily responsible for scientific, technical and operation analysis operational analysis of data gathered by field investigations conducted pursuant to subsection D and data from other sources including with respect to the testing of materials, medical studies and development of theoretical models to better understand and explain unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So I mean again we're ticking off some pretty big ticks on the wish list here. We're talking about making sure that there are there is people and expertise and resources available to actually analyse any data gathered by these field investigations that we just mentioned earlier, including testing of materials. That's pretty huge. And you've got to imagine that, you know, uh, a certain uh, Dr. Nolan may be involved in, in some of that potentially. I would hope so at least. Uh, in terms of it, the groundbreaking uh, methods that, that Dr. Gary Nolan has basically uh, been able to come up with and uh, published a paper recently on uh, the Council Bluffs paper, as it is referred to, uh, which basically kind of sets a precedent for the proper anal analysis of uh, materials which are suspected to be from uh, anomalous objects. So certainly somebody you might see whether or not we'll know about that publicly or not, but I would certainly imagine that that's the person they'd call for that particular role. Um, medical studies, again, talking about physiological effects on humans. And again, you know, a certain Mr. Nolan and perhaps a certain Mr. Green, uh, or a certain Dr. Nolan and Dr. Green, should I say, to give them the full uh, uh, respect that they deserve. Um, you know, could we see them involved with that? Who knows? And development of theoretical models to better understand these anomalous objects. So, Again, very, very interesting there. And then we go on. Two, authority. The Secretary and the Director of National Intelligence shall each issue such directives as are necessary to ensure that each line organisation designated under paragraph 1 has the authority to draw on the special expertise of persons outside the federal government with appropriate security clearances. So again, pff, this is what I like to hear. We're talking about basically... Um, we, they need to ensure that every line organisation within this office has the authority to actually draw on the expertise of people outside the federal government as long as they've got the appropriate security clearances, which is what you want. You want to be able to access whatever knowledge pools and whatever specialists you need to to get to the bottom of this. Moving on, F, data intelligence collection, number one. Availability of data and reporting on unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. The Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary shall each, in coordination with one another, ensure that a. Each element of the intelligence community with data relating to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena makes such data available immediately to the office. And b. Military and civilian personnel of the Department of Defense are an element of the intelligence community and contractor personnel of the department or such an element have access to procedures by which the personnel shall report incidents or information including adverse physiological effects involving or associated with unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena directly to the office. So again, 
very interesting kind of self-explanatory there i think but it's it just putting things into place to make sure that each element of the intelligence community that has data relating to this mystery makes that data available immediately to the office and also that military and civilian personnel anybody who's involved in the department of defense or an element of the intelligence community they have access to um basically procedures to allow them to report these incidents including all of the various um, effects that, that could have been observed moving on number two intelligence collection and analysis plan the director of the office acting on behalf of the secretary of defense and the director of national intelligence shall supervise the development and execution of an intelligence collection and analysis plan to gain as much knowledge as possible regarding the technical and operational characteristics, origins, and intentions of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena, including with respect to the development, acquisition, deployment, and operation of technical collection capabilities necessary to detect, identify, and scientifically characterize unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Again, the ticking all the right boxes for me here. I'm definitely uh, enjoying reading through these paragraphs, I'll tell you that. And they're basically saying there that the director of the office and the you know who is acting on behalf of the Secretary of Defence and the Director of National Intelligence shall make sure that there is uh, development and uh, you know implementation of an actual collection and an analysis plan to to gain as much data and as much knowledge as they possibly can regarding how these things actually operate how they work what their intentions are the origins in terms of where they're from um, and you know including with respect to the development acquisition deployment and operation of technical collections capabilities necessary to detect and identify uh, and scientifically characterize these mysterious objects so again just providing this office with exactly what it needs to get to the bottom of this mystery which is again exactly what we want the only thing that i did that i did uh, consider there is that it is basically saying that um, they will have the ability to be able to develop, um, acquire, and deploy, you know, technical collection capabilities to be able to detect and identify these and, and scientifically characterize these uh, anomalous objects. Now, that sounds great, but you have to bear in mind that what that might actually mean is, I suppose, a bit of a double-edged sword because it's giving this office the ability to be able to request uh, even develop in some cases but also request and deploy very very um top level sensor systems i would imagine is that is what that's referring to there to give them the ability to be able to acquire um, and deploy some of the best uh, sensor systems that they have available whatever they need in terms of technical collection capabilities necessary um, to be able to do their job of figuring this out so the reason i say that's double-edged sword is because bear in mind the data from those systems is almost certainly going to be classified so we're not going to see it but is it a good thing that they have access to those systems absolutely you know but it, it's going to get mysterious isn't it when they've got access to these incredible systems that they can be able to um, actually gather the best data on this mystery but the public aren't, aren't going to be able to have access to any of that that's going to end up going in the classified briefings so yeah interesting to, to to think about what they might be able to do there but also a bit frustrating knowing that we're probably not going to see any of that stuff 
Moving on then, three, use of resources and capabilities. In developing the plan under paragraph two, the director of the office shall consider and propose, as the director of the office determines appropriate, the use of any resource, capability, asset or process of the department and the intelligence community. Again, really interesting there. Um, Kind of ties into what I was just saying. The director of this office, the person who's in charge, the head honcho of this office, is basically going to be able to, um, you know, the use... uh, He's going to be able to request the use of any resource, capability, asset or process that the Department of Defense or the intelligence community has. So again, they're going to have some significant power here to be able to use the best of their best in terms of um, sensor systems and uh, you know resources available to the DOD and the intelligence community. Great, that's what we want. But as I say, bearing in mind, we ain't going to see the data from that. So just worth considering. Moving on, four... The director of the National Geospace Intelligence Agency. A. Leadership. The director of the National Geospace Intelligence Agency shall lead the collection efforts of the intelligence community with respect to unidentified aerospace, undersea phenomena, geospace intelligence. So that's interesting. It's actually going to be the director of the National Geospace Intelligence Agency that's going to be leading these collection efforts. Very interestingly, the NGA, the National Geospace Intelligence Agency, is a very capable organization when it comes to satellite monitoring capabilities. And they have had a track record of uh, you know, involvement in very important cases. For example, the, the Osama bin Laden raid um, apparently the NGA was integral in helping the DOD and the US, US intelligence community to actually pinpoint the specific compound in Pakistan where Osama bin Laden was hiding out and helped to actually plan the, the eventual raid uh, to actually uh, to, to find him. And there's been quite a number of other things as well. For example, the NGA supported uh, the response to uh, Hurricane Katrina and the the relief efforts by actually providing accurate geospatial information about the effective areas, uh, sorry, affected areas based on imagery from uh, commercial and US government satellites and from airborne platforms as well. So we're talking about a very, very... um, capable organization in terms of satellite monitoring um, uh, capabilities and also the current head of uh, the current director of the NGA is called Frank so there you go that's a nice little chuckle to add into the mix as well it's not me I promise or is it You'll never know. Um, but no, um, anyway, so moving on from that, it, very interesting to see the, the NGA there um, actually being mentioned uh, in, in that regard. And I thought that was uh, important to, to pinpoint because they're, they're going to be actually um, integral in terms of the collection efforts of the intelligence community with respect to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Um, geospace intelligence so they're going to be uh, as you would expect i suppose you know they're going to be the ones really leading the way in in regards to the data coming from geospatial intelligence uh, aspects of their uh, investigation so that's interesting to to think about Um, b 
briefings not later than 90 days after the date of the enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, and not less frequency, uh, frequently than once every 90 days thereafter, the Director shall brief the Congressional Defence Committees, the Congressional Intelligence Committees, and Congressional Leadership on the activities of the Director under this paragraph. So again, we're talking about regular briefings there, essentially four times a year quarterly uh, briefings to these congressional committees uh, who need to know what's going on here. And um, what's basically going to be happening is that this office will actually be briefing these uh, committees as to the progress uh, on a regular basis. No mention there that any of that will be um, uh, you know, available to the public, so you would imagine that those would be closed or briefings um but that is a separate thing to the reports that were mentioned earlier so moving on from that g science plan the director of the office on behalf of the secretary and the director of national intelligence shall supervise the development and execution of a science plan to develop and test as practicable scientific theories to number one account for characteristics and performance of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena that exceed the known state of the art in science or technology, including in the areas of propulsion, aerodynamic control, signatures, structures, materials, sensors, countermeasures, weapons, electronics, and power generation. And number two, provide the foundation for potential future investments to replicate or otherwise better understand any such advanced characteristics and performance. So very interesting there. Again, the, 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 the very interesting aspects of this continue to mount up. So what we're talking about there is the, the director of this office is actually going to be working on behalf of the secretary of defense and the director of national intelligence to actually supervise the development and execution of a science plan to essentially reverse engineer some of the capabilities of what's being witnessed with these objects so um whether or not we're going to see much coming back about that in terms of any progress you know remains to be seen because you would imagine that if they do manage to figure any of that stuff out that it's going to be kept very much behind closed doors but interesting to see that it's being taken so seriously as to put a plan into place to actually figure out how these things are working and try and use that um that same technology uh, you know ourselves um obviously there is a lot of speculation that that is already going on but we have to bear in mind that this office is you know it, it is a separate entity within an absolutely vast governmental and military and intelligence community network that's all kind of interlinked so you know when it's saying put something into place to actually try and analyze this stuff and figure out how to reverse engineer it that in itself is not necessarily a denial that that has ever happened before in another aspect of of some some part of the intelligence community or some secretive branch of the military and um, you know possibly in, in in coordination with private industry and you know quite possibly within an organization like the department of energy or something like that and this new office that's being set up here um you know technically are going to have access to all of these other uh, areas within the intelligence community within the DOD. So it it may be that this once this office is actually established that they can actually draw in 
you know expertise to inform their science plan based on existing reverse engineering programs that already are out there or it might be that the if there are indeed you know these reverse engineering programs which have been going on for some time again it's it's kind of up to personal opinion as to how how much and, and to what extent they've been able to actually make any progress and, and what they're actually actually holding in terms of materials or intact craft or even you could go as far as to suggest you know actual biological material or intact beings of some type if you believe that that already takes place whether that be a fragment of some kind of material or whether it be all the way to intact craft and beings you know that's going to be pretty tightly locked up i mean that's a huge understatement it would be so tightly locked up that even a, a newly proposed office probably wouldn't be able to get access to the information held um so it'd be interesting to see how that ca that plays out over time but again it, a lot of the, the really interesting things that are being proposed will probably never get to the public here anyway so moving on though i don't want to go on too much of a tangent there but very, you know, safe to say, very interesting to see that they're they're considering how they could be able to reverse engineer these things in terms of the propulsion, the aerodynamic control, signatures in terms of signature management, being able to disguise yourself from sensor systems and appear differently to to the way that you actually are as an object, structures, materials sensors countermeasures weapons so they're considering all of these things as being valid areas to look into to figure out if we could replicate any of that technology strongly suggesting that there is a suspicion that there is an actual technology in play here rather than some kind of a you know atmospheric phenomenon or misidentifications of a distant jet and you're just seeing the glare and it's been misidentified I don't think they would include all of this very significant language here about replicating the technology that's being witnessed if they were strongly suspecting behind closed doors that this was actually just an atmospheric phenomenon, uh, misidentifications of balloons or distant jets. Not looking very likely, those explanations, I think, um, the more you go along. Anyway, H, assignment of priority. The Director of National Intelligence in consultation with and with the recommendation of the Secretary shall assign an appropriate level of priority within the National Intelligence Priorities Framework to the requirement to understand, characterise and respond to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Now that's very interesting because that reminds me of a paragraph that is in um, the Lou Elizondo uh, IG complaint where Lou Elizondo actually talks about putting a plan in place to actually provide a framework to how to respond to these objects because um, it's actually followed that particular uh, a paragraph within the Lou Elizondo's IG complaint is referring to when he was in ATIP, he was being uh, contacted by uh, senior officials within the Navy who were having encounters, their ship were actually having encounters with UAP and they didn't know how to react to them. And we've heard other accounts of um, entire crews of ships being forced to uh, go inside the, the, the vessel um, and, and stay, you know, under lock and key while these encounters are going on because there's, there's not really a good uh, example and framework in place in terms of how to actually respond to these incidents when they happen. 
And as a result of that, Lou Elizondo actually talks about how uh, one of the things they did was to suggest the uh, formation of a plant of how to actually res respond to these objects. And that's very interesting that here is another paragraph where it specifies that um, it should be um, put into place some kind of a plan to understand, characterize and respond to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. And also quite interestingly, um, I was actually reading through the UK Condine report as well. And in the UK Condine report, going all the way back to the year 2000, so over 20 years ago, bearing in mind, the UK already had a framework recommendation of to not under any circumstances to try to engage with these objects. And bearing in mind, the UK Condine report says... Um, I'm paraphrasing here, this is not the exact quote, but um, there is no doubt that unidentified error phenomena are real and move in ways that, that are uh, a way in advance of our own capabilities and also recommends uh, to not engage with them. So, I mean, you can make of that what you will, but very interesting now that the, the UK uh, government, the MOD, actual recommendation even going back over 20 years ago was that there's no doubt that these things are real they have unbelievable capabilities and we recommend our pilots don't engage with them and um yeah very very interesting to see that that's kind of coming up here talking about a framework to actually understand and how to respond to um you know these these objects if they do um you know come into contact with them anyway moving on so it says, I, core group, not later than 180 days after the date of the enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, the Director of the Office, the Secretary of Defence and the Director of National Intelligence shall jointly establish a core group within the office that shall include, at a minimum, representatives with all relevant and appropriate security clearances from the following. The C... Well, the Central Intelligence Agency, CIA, the National Security Agency, NSA, the Department of Energy, DOE, the National Reconnaissance Office, NRO, the Air Force, the Space Force, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the National Geospace Intelligence Agency. So there we're talking about, again, 180 days after this uh, Intelligence Authorization Act is, is actually put into place, the director of this office, the, the head honcho again of, of this office, um, you know, alongside the Secretary of Defense and the Director of National Intelligence, shall actually establish a core group within the office, which actually includes, at a minimum, it says as well, representatives with all of the relevant security clearances from that big long list of agencies that I just listed, which you've got to think that is going to be an interesting uh, meeting that you would want to be a fly on the wall to. You know, high level individuals with the relative security clearances from the CIA, NSA, Department of Energy, NRO, Air Force, Space Force, DIA, and the National Geospace Intelligence Agency. Like, those people together in a room talking to a UFO office within the American government is absolutely mind-blowing to me to think that that is actually going to be a thing. Really, really wild. And yeah, I mean, again, are the details of any of that conversation going to eventually come out into a format that the public has access to? Very unlikely, but it just blows my mind that you're going to have top security-cleared individuals from all of those organisations 
you know, engaging in a core group within this UFO office. That is just wild to me. Anyway, Jay, annual reports. Here we go. So, number one, reports from the Director of National Intelligence. A, requirement, not later than 180 days after the date of the enactment of the Intelligence Authorization Act for fiscal year 2023, and annually thereafter for four years, the Director of National Intelligence, in consultation with the Secretary, um, shall submit to the appropriate congressional committees a report on unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena again no mention of that particular report there um being open to the public but there there will be reports created uh, every year for four years and that's going to be um related back to the appropriate congressional committees Moving on, B, elements. Each report under subparagraph A shall include, with respect to the year covered by the report, the following information. I, all reported unidentified aerospace phenomena related events that occurred during that one year period covered by the report. II, all reported unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena related events that occurred during a period other than that one year period but were not included in an earlier report so again catching a very wide net uh, casting a wide net there we don't just want to hear about all the things that happened in that one year period but we also want to hear about all the other ones that weren't included in previous reports for any reason iii an analysis of data and intelligence received through each reported unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena related event so again talking about the specifics there of, of the actual data and the intelligence received through each report uh, iv an analysis of data relating to unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena collected through Geospace intelligence, signals intelligence, human intelligence, and measurement and signature intelligence. So again, talking about an analysis of the data for each reported case with all of the things that I just listed included as considerations. Uh, and then we move on to V. Uh, these are Roman numerals, by the way, in case anyone's a bit lost while I'm saying III. Sounds like some kind of... Anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked there. But yeah, V as in five. Uh, v, the number of reported incidents of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena over restricted airspace of the United States during the one-year period. So again, the part of the things that are going to be reported uh, is going to be the number of these incidents that happens over restricted airspace in particular during that year period. Uh, VI as in six. An analysis of such incidents identified under clause V. So again, talking about an analysis of those incidents that occurred over restricted airspace also needs to be included. Uh, VII is in seven. Identification of potential aerospace or other threats posed by unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena to the national security of the United States. So again, seeing which of these various uh, cases that are being reported actually um, you know, have p the potential of threats uh, to the United States national security. Moving on, VIII as in eight, an assessment of any activity regarding unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena that can be attributed to one or more adversarial foreign governments. So again, you've got to consider that, haven't you? Out of all of these cases, how many of them do you reckon could possibly be um, a, a, another government, whether that be adversarial um, or, or whatever? 
IX, as in nine. Um, identification of any incidents or patterns regarding unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena that indicate a potential adversarial government may have achieved a breakthrough aerospace capability. So again, it's got to be looked at, hasn't it? How many of these incidents could possibly be an adversarial government have cracked something that we didn't think that they had? And we know that that is a consideration, especially at the moment, um, with things like, for example, the hypersonic missiles, uh, you know, supposedly, according to the way that it's been reported, uh, Russia and, and China have been able to develop these things and seem to be slightly ahead of the US. Personally, I think that's probably baloney. I think the US have probably got things that, are, that they've just not wheeled out yet and they don't want to show the hand. Um, I, I find it very unlikely that the, the, the Russians, for example, have managed to create these hypersonic missiles which are way more capable than what the US have got. Uh, I could be completely wrong on that, but I, I would I would think that the US have probably got a lot more than they're letting on and they don't want to give too much away for sort of, um, you know... Um, operational security reasons basically they don't want to show the hand until they absolutely have to do um but it is a consideration that you have to bear in mind that maybe one of your adversaries could have developed something that you didn't think that they had um you know there's a lot to be discovered about the universe and maybe they've just stumbled upon some kind of discovery that's allowed them to crack a certain aspect of um you know uh, aerospace capability who knows Anyway, moving on, so X is in 10. An update on the coordination by the United States with allies and partners on efforts to track, understand, and address unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So again, part of these reports has to include updates on how the US is working um, with allies and partners, in, in other words, uh, Britain, uh, you know, Australia, and so on, um, how, how the coordination is going in terms of efforts to track, understand, and address these, these mysterious objects that are being witnessed. Um, and then we've got um, XIs in 11, uh, an update on any efforts underway on the ability to capture or exploit discovered unidentified, unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So again, how is the reverse engineering going, um, basically? XII is in 12, an assessment of any health-related effects for individuals that have encountered unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. So um, again, very interesting there, talking about the specific uh, physiological effects, the biological effects on humans that have actually been involved in witnessing these objects. XIII, so now we're on 13. The number of reported incidents and descriptions thereof of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena associated with military nuclear assets, including strategic nuclear weapons and nuclear powered ships and submarines. So obviously they're something that we've heard quite a lot about, this alleged connection. Um, I think it's probably a bit more than alleged at this point. Um, the connection between these objects being sighted in the proximity of nuclear assets. Anything nuclear related seems to be a strong correlation there. And um, part of what needs to be included in this report is how many of the observed incidents were connected to, you know, or associated with military nuclear assets, including the weapons themselves, but also nuclear powered ships and submarines. Interesting. Uh, XIV, as in 14. 
I've started with these uh, long versions of these Roman numerals, so I may as well continue. <laughs> but anyway, bear with me on that side of things. XIV, uh, in uh, 14. In, in consultation with the Administrator for Nuclear Security, the number of reported incidents and descriptions thereof of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena associated with facilities or assets associated with the production, transportation, or storage of nuclear weapons or components thereof. So again, links into the previous uh, uh, point that I made there. Not only are they talking about nuclear weapons themselves and submarines and vessels in general, uh, ships and uh, all the vessels that are powered by in nuclear propulsion systems, but also we're talking about facilities associated with the production, transportation, or storage of not only nuclear weapons, but also the components of nuclear weapons. So they're really going into detail there about the specifics of anything to do with nuclear weapons. They need to be really monitoring it very closely indeed. And uh, again, whether or not any of that's going to be included in the actual classified uh, or the unclassified reports is is unclear because obviously those are very very sensitive um you know uh, topics that they're not going to give a lot away so are we going to see any actual confirmation of links with uh the nuclear assets and, and or even the the facilities themselves that, that create these uh nuclear missiles or nuclear propulsion systems it's, it's unclear whether we're going to see any of that but it's it's reassuring that they are looking into it because as i say it's a pretty significant concern, isn't it, when you've got objects flying with impunity over nuclear facilities, as is alleged, um, or as I say, probably a bit more than alleged at this point. XV15, in consultation with the chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the number of reported incidents and descriptions thereof of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena or drones of unknown origin associated with nuclear power generating stations, nuclear fuel storage sites, or other sites or facilities regulated by the, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So again, even more detail there about how these objects are going to be reported in relation to sensitive nuclear facilities, or even objects or even sites or facilities that are regulated by this nuclear regulatory commission so really going into detail also first mention of the d word there as well drones it does say um just blah, blah 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 descriptions there of unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena or drones of unknown origin interesting choice of language there it seems to almost be suggesting that there is unidentified aerial uh, aerospace undersea phenomena or drones two separate categories there um rather than trying to explain them all the way as drones which is kind of the um the, the current uh, sort of line that's being pushed interesting that but um you know obviously whether it's a some kind of an unidentified phenomenon or whether it's drones anything that's hanging around near nuclear power stations nuclear fuel storage sites or anything anything to do with nuclear technology is a concern isn't it if if an adversary has managed to get drones above that those sites that's a big issue you know whether it be drones from an adversary whether it be drones that's potentially controlled by a, a non-human intelligence whatever it is we don't want them hanging around nuclear assets so um, very logical that that's included xvi is in 16 
The names of the line organisations that have been designated to perform the specific functions under subsections D and E and the specific functions for which each such line organisation has been assigned primary responsibility. So again, sort of does what it says on the tin, that particular um, point there. So we're just going to move on from that one. C, form. So the form that each of these reports is actually going to take. Each report submitted under subparagraph A shall be submitted in unclassified form, but may include a classified annex. Right, very important point there then. Um, so all of that stuff that we just mentioned is actually going to be in unclassified form with a classified annex. That wasn't exactly clear from the first little bit that I started reading through of that as to whether that was going to be the case. But now, here we are. These reports that have been submitted, all of that that was just been mentioning about as to what these reports have to contain, all the information that they should go into, those reports are going to be submitted in an unclassified form, but may include a classified annex. So all the various bits that I mentioned throughout that, where I said, yeah, we might not hear about that in the unclassified side of things, yeah, it's most likely going to end up in the classified annex. However, very, very interesting that we're going to be seeing these reports and they they are going to be unclassified so they may well have some quite interesting points in that we'll actually get access to which is very very interesting indeed and uh, these reports are the uh, not not later than 180 days after this act actually um after after the uh, act is enacted if you will uh, and thereafter for four years we're talking about these reports remember being uh, a yearly report so we're going to have yearly reports containing all of that information that i've just been reading through and they're going to be unclassified but with a classified annex so something to look forward to that very interesting and then we go on um two reports from elements of the intelligence community not later than one year after the date of enactment of the intelligence authorization act for fiscal year 2023 and annually thereafter each head of an element of the intelligence community shall submit to the congressional defense committees, the congressional intelligence committees and congressional leadership a report on the activities of the element of the head undertaken in the past year or so to support the office, including a section prepared by the office that includes a detailed description of the coordination between the office and the element of the intelligence community, any concerns with such coordination, and any recommendations for improve, improving such coordination. So again, that's really fascinating to, to imagine, but we're going to have all of these various departments all these aspects of the intelligence community have to actually provide um, the head of each of these elements of the intelligence community has to submit a, a report on how they have been actually liaising with the office what their activities have been to support the office and a detailed description of exactly what took place and how it could be improved and any concerns they may have in terms of the coordination with the office. So that's that's uh, very interesting and, and good to see really that all of these aspects of the intelligence community, all of the various different branches of that tree are actually being you know, really kind of kept tabs on in terms of how they're cooperating with the office. Um, and then we go on to semi-annual briefings. So this is not the 
annual briefings, which is pretty much what we've been talking about for the last little while there. But now we're talking about semi-annual briefings, as in twice a year. Number one, requirement. Not later than December the 31st, 2022, and not less frequently than semi-annually thereafter until December the 31st, 2026. The director of the office shall provide to the congressional committees specified in subparagraphs A, B, and D of subsection 1 classified briefings on unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. The first briefing provided under paragraph 1 shall include all incidents involving unidentified aerospace phenomena that were reported to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force, that's the UAPTF, or to the office established under subsection A after June the 24th, 2021, regardless of the date of the occurrence of the incident. So any any actual cases that were reported after the June the 24th, I believe it was June the 25th that the actual preliminary assessment from the, the UAP task force came out. Um, so it's basically talking about anything that has been reported to either the UAP task force or this new office, anything that's been reported after June 24th, 2021, all of that has to be provided in the first briefing and anything that's been reported since that UAP task force preliminary assessment came out, all of this has to be included in the first briefing that is provided under paragraph one. So that's interesting trying to kind of round everything up and if you listen, if you remember what Scott Bray said that they've actually seen an uptick in, in a lot of the reports that they've received uh, uh, quite recently so some of these reports may go back to way before June 24th 2021 and um, it might go back to let's say for example additional reports of something like the Nimitz case in 2004 but all of that has to be included as this stigma is breaking down and people are actually now reporting things with more frequency, all of those reports that have come in, it says regardless of the date of the occurrence of the incident. So we could be talking about historic cases. We could be talking about somebody coming along to corroborate the version of events witnessed in the Nimitz case. You know, all of that stuff has to be included in the first briefing, regardless of the date of the occurrence of the incident. So it's not talking about anything that's happened after June 24th, uh, 24th, 2021. It's just talking about any reports that have come in, they've got to be included. So that's going to, could be a quite a hefty report that, depending on uh, how many. Okay, so that is the end of part one, because this ended up being, uh, by the time I got to the end of it, it was two and a half hours long, believe it or not, so I thought that's probably a bit much for one episode, so that's the end of part one, and at that moment in the recording, I took a sip of my tea, and then carried on for another hour and a half or something crazy, so you'll have to wait a couple of days to check that one out, and uh, I'll pick up exactly where I left off with my sip from my cup of tea, and continuing on so until next time take it easy catch you in the next one you are podcast